All right. Good morning. Oh, it's good to be in church. For those of you who are online, it's good to be in church. Okay. Um, no, I'm just kidding. When you can get back, we, we really look forward to seeing you. So um, for now, I know some of you have to be online, and uh, we miss you. I just want you to know that because I know that you can't be here and hug people and whatever. So here's my hug. You're not going to probably get one in person. I'm not that huggy, but you get one, the virtual hug online. So uh, we love you. Uh, it's been a it's been some decent weather this week, which I really appreciate. It always makes a big difference to me when the sun, I realize it still exists, um, you know, after all those months. So here's my deal. Give me a serious atheist or even an agnostic or, you know, give me a person following some false religion or something like that because that person I know how to talk to. I know how to talk to that person. I can present and defend the gospel and the scripture. I can give reasons. Uh, you know, I can, I can show evidence. I can, I can show that Jesus Christ is the king of kings, that he's risen from the dead, that he died for our sins, that, that, he can, that he can forgive you and that you can be free in him. I can show all that kind of stuff. Relationship with God is possible. Forgiveness is possible. Peace is possible through Jesus Christ. But there is a type of person or attitude who I admit I have a hard time talking to. It's hard to talk to them. It's not the atheist. It's the apatheist. The apatheist. Atheists believe there's no God. I can help them with that. They're wrong about that, but at least they're thinking. Agnostics believe they can't know whether there's a God. Well, I can help them with their epistemology or their view of what we can know and how we know things. The apatheist just doesn't care. Doesn't care. Apatheist doesn't care whether there's a God. They don't care about the big questions. They don't care about the ultimate questions. They don't care about the important questions. And it's much more complicated to speak with an apatheist, to evangelize, to bring the gospel to an apatheist. Uh, in an article called Apatheism, Engaging the Western Pantheon of Spiritual Indifference, which sounds exciting, Actually, it's pretty exciting. Um, a guy named uh, K. Robert Bashirs. You know when they put that letter first before the name? You know they're fancy. So K, I'm D, Charles Robinson. Um, just David. This is what he says. Unlike atheists, apatheists lack the reason, motivation, or will to spark a conversation about spirituality in the first place. At a minimum, atheism and agnosticism, for that matter, share a mutual interest with theism the question over God's existence. That acts as a platform for talking about spirituality. In fact, the primary commonality between a theist, agnostic, and atheist is their shared concern for religion and interest in God, whether they believe that he doesn't exist or that he does. They're interested in it, right? The apatheist, though, finds no value in such concern or interest, thus denying Christians access to common ground upon which they might build a case for the gospel. This is the reason, he says, why I suggested that apatheism is far worse than atheism. Furthermore, apatheism obviously presents a challenge to the mission of the local church. It does. It does. Some of us may have already realized how difficult it is to talk to people about Jesus Christ, to talk about the gospel, right? Uh, we feel sometimes like we're being sort of uncouth in this society, in this culture, talking about God. It's not cool to break in on an otherwise pleasant and wonderful conversation with questions like, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know that you're going to hell? <laughs> you know, it's just not the kind of thing that people like to chat about, uh, you know, I've noticed. 
We think they're going to be annoyed, maybe hostile. We've studied this before, which is to say the sword that Jesus brings, right? The fact is that there are both kinds of people, both kinds of people, people for whom the good news of the gospel is breath to their lungs, who, who find life and peace in Jesus Christ, hope and salvation. They're thirsting for living water. And when you get to be used, when Jesus gets to work through you and, and in you to bring somebody the gospel, it can be an amazing thing. But there are the other people, those who hate the name of Jesus. They don't want to hear it. So what 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17 says, it says, now thanks be to God, indeed, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Amen for that. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. I always like to read this when Tony's here because she likes diffusers, right? That's right. Diffusers, right? It diffu- you've seen those things, the essential oils. You put the thing in there. Kind of like the haze that comes out here. It diffuses. When you are walking around, Christ is being diffused through you, okay? Diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death, leading to death. They think you smell like death. And not for the reason you would think. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? None of us without the grace of God, right? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, But as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. This is you. You walking around as a Christ follower are diffusing the fragrance of the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. And some people, when they catch a whiff of that, they go, (laughs) right? You ever been in the locker room, boys' locker room? I don't know what's going on over the girls' locker room. It smells like that (laughs) to them. Okay, like right after football practice. Yeah. Okay. One thing I don't miss about football. It smells like death. And to some other people, it's just this fragrance, this aroma of life. And that's what you're doing. But what about the apatheist? Apatheist just means apathy and theist, right? So just so you're understanding what that word is. Um, apatheists aren't joyful to hear the gospel, nor do they necessarily show themselves to be annoyed or angry. They're a little different. Those emotions are too much for them. They simply don't care. They don't care. Paul Rowan uh, Bryan and Ben Sixsmith wrote an article on apathyism in 2018. They talk about Paul's sermon to the Athenians. If you remember from Acts 17, if you were there probably three years ago since we've been in Acts 17, but if you were here at the time, congratulations. Good job. Um, Paul was able to connect with the Athenians at the Areopagus. So he goes in, and he wants to connect with them in a a way that is relevant to them, right? And so these people are idol worshipers. They have all these gods, but they're theists. They believe in God, but they've got all these gods, and they've got this one uh, altar out here that says, to the unknown God. And so Paul takes that as a point of of departure and says, look, I can see you're religious. You're religious people. You believe in God. I even found an altar to the unknown God. Well, let me tell you who that is. And he goes on to to preach the gospel and tell them who Jesus Christ is and and get them to repent and turn from their sin. After Paul preached, this was the reaction, okay? This is Acts 17, 32 through 34. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Well, others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Come back and talk to us more. We want to think about it. 
So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed, among them Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So you had a few reactions. Kind of the anger, kind of the make fun of, kind of the mocking. I'd, I'd look at that as kind of the new atheist style, right? Um, and then you had some people who were like, oh, let's listen some more. I'd put them more in kind of the spiritual but not religious crowd. And then you had some who turned. What you didn't seem to have here were apathists. So Brian Sixsmith, um, Brian and Sixsmith, these authors, imagined in their article what would have happened if the people that Paul was talking to were all apathists. This is what he said. Paul's sermon would have been greeted by amusement and indifference, by meh. That is the danger of apathism. This is the power of meh. Meh is a tough reaction. It's a tough one to hear. It's worse than I'm angry or I disagree. I can deal with those. Meh means you completely failed to impress me at all. I don't care. I don't even want to talk to, talk to you. I don't care about you. Meh means I don't care. I'm not moved. That's sort of the battle cry of the apatheist. Meh. That's where they're at. Remember early in my days of being a teaching pastor, um, I had a Facebook message for the, to the church, and there's a guy, hey, well, tell me about your church. Hey, it's great church, you know, super good-looking pastor, you know, all that kind of stuff. I just laid it out for him. And he said, I'm going to come. Great. Really excited for this guy to come. I'm always excited to have visitors come because I love visitors just like I love all of you, and we want people to know Jesus, right? And so he, he was uh, going to come the next day. He did come. We had a good Sunday, as I recall, praising the Lord in song, teaching the word, all of that good stuff. You know, the stuff that I love gets me passionate, gets me excited. Later, he messaged me again on Facebook and let me know that he had attended the 11 a.m. service. It was okay, he wrote. I replied, I hope you will come back. To which he replied, eh. Ugh. Heartbroken, right? He didn't even have the courtesy to give me the full meh. I just got eh. That's how, he's a lazy apatheist, right? eh. It basically says, I just don't care at all. I was utterly unimpressed by the church. Utterly unimpressed. Now, I'm telling you this story because it's cheaper than therapy, basically. Um, (laughs) No, really, that's why I do it. No, I'm telling you this because it's a serious issue. Apathy especially apathy about the most important questions in life. The wonderful things like God and relationship with God and life in Him. To be apathetic about those things is dangerous and terrible. There's many things that we're apathetic about that we ought not to be apathetic about. But the highest things, it's very dangerous, it's very terrible to be apathetic about those things. Helen Keller wrote this. Science may have found a cure for most evils, but it's found no remedy for the worst of them all, the apathy of human beings. In the same article uh, that I talked about earlier from uh, Paul Rowan, Brian, and Ben Sixsmith, they write this. They say, a full 33% of 21 to 29-year-olds report that they are non-religious. Europe is even more secular, with a majority of 16 to 29-year-olds reporting no religious beliefs. None. No religious beliefs. That's strange, right? You don't believe anything about it. 
As a public religion institute notes, there has been a growing rise of the unaffiliated in America. Many people don't specifically disbelieve in the supernatural or God. It's not specific to that, okay? They just don't care and don't want to talk or think about it. I don't know if you know anybody like this. I do. I can think of some people who I would love to just get in there and be able to talk about the gospel. And it's not that they're atheists and they want to fight with me about it. They just don't care. They just don't care. Now, we're in a series of messages called White Lies, as you can see here. Exposing half-truths and protecting the gospel. Lord willing, we're going to be able to study several forms of broken worldviews, okay? Bad ideas, bad philosophies, bad theologies that are widespread in our culture. The first is apathyism. That's the one for today. It's a worldview, but it's also kind of an attitude. As much as it is a set of beliefs, it's a set of I don't care about these beliefs. It's just an I don't care attitude. Just don't care. If the Christ follower were a crossing guard, okay, let's assume that instead of telling people about Jesus and getting to heaven, you were the crossing guard and you knew that a bus was going to come. Okay? You didn't know exactly what time, but you knew the bus was coming down the street. So your job was to tell the people who were meandering in the street, there's a bus coming. Okay? Let's imagine that's who you are, and that was your job in evangelism. If that were the case, the atheist would stand in the middle of the street explaining that belief in buses is nonsense and repeating, I don't believe in buses, I don't believe in buses, I don't believe in buses. The agnostic would explain that he doesn't know if buses are real or not. And so he's going to stay in the street and take his chances. The apatheist would simply ignore you, give you a little half smile, and say to himself, I don't care to talk about buses. And then look back down at his smartphone. Okay? All three are going to get smacked if they stay in the middle of the street. Right? All three of them are going to get smacked. But the atheist often desires to share in a reasoned conversation with you. I don't believe in buses. Why don't you believe in buses? Well, I'll tell you why I don't believe in buses, and we can have this conversation. The agnostic says, we can't know that. And I say, I think you can know that. And we talk about whether he can know that. The apathy is, nothing. Nothing. Just this, you know. Right? That's the apathy is. It is just difficult. They'll just, meh, meh. So how do you reach him before he gets hit? That's a question for the church. We have an obligation as the body of Christ to be that aroma. And if we've got to open some noses up so they can smell, then we'll do that, right? We've got to find out how to reach him. But first we need to understand the spiritual state and the worldview of the apatheist. As with all things relating to people, there are many reasons Many reasons why a person becomes an apatheist. And by the way, not many people would use this term to describe themselves. If you said, what are you? They probably wouldn't say, I'm an apatheist. <laughs> it's more of a description that we use based on their lives and the way they live them. Right? Oh, and did I mention that there are people who would identify themselves as Christians who are apatheists? There are self-identifying Christians who seem to have little interest in talking or thinking about God or having God be a part of their daily lives or living for him or any of that kind of stuff. But if you ask them, what are you? They'd say, oh, I'm a Christian. Meh. 
We're going to get into that, hopefully, Lord willing, more on, on when we talk about moralistic therapeutic deism, which I know you're looking forward to. But, but why are apathists so apathetic? Well, K. Robert Brashears suggests three possible reasons people become apathetic towards the big questions about God. One, the lack of reason to care. Two, the lack of motivation to care. And three, the lack of will to care. The person who has no reason to care believes that the current worldly philosophies are good enough to get by on. What many of you would call secularism or secular humanism, kind of the zeitgeist, kind of what's in the air of our culture, they're like, that's good enough. That seems to be working, right? They think that science and sort of popular morality will sort of get them through. They'll do okay. After all, it seems like lots of other people are doing okay. The person with no motivation to care is just impatient. She has plenty of digital means to keep herself occupied. And if it can't be explained in a tweet or a meme, it's not worth learning. The gospel is simple, but it's not simplistic. I can't meme you the gospel. So it's not going to work that way, right? And so when you have a book like the Bible, which is long with this incredible adventurous narrative where God is showing who he is from beginning to end and it all fits together, there's so much to do and so much to learn, that doesn't work well in a tweet. And so who's got the time, right? It takes time and effort and work to understand the person with no motivation just doesn't have the patience to be interested in it. The person with no will to care is actually afraid according to Bashir's. She doesn't want to think about God because God may change her life if she starts thinking about him. He may come in and want to mess with things, and change is hard. People don't want to change, so the question is avoided, and when it's avoided long enough, it's just considered unimportant. Meh. There they go. All of these are likely at the root of the problem for some apathists. But here's the thing. If you pulled on the thread of apathism, where is this coming from? What you're going to find is that that cord is going to run through the same place that what things like progressive Christianity that we're going to talk about run through. Okay? Same place that moralistic therapeutic deism runs through. And that's postmodernism. You're going to come back. At the end of it, it's, of course, Satan. All of these are doctrines of demons. All of these are just falsehoods that are there to draw people away from truth. But as you go through that, the, the thing that's sort of overarching the worldview is postmodernism. Now, I know that postmodernism is fun to talk about, so we're going to do that. <laughs> we're, we're not going to spend too much time going through postmodernism today. In fact, if you want to hear more about that, you can go back and watch uh, the Skeptics Forum. I think it was, our first, it was our first skeptic series from 2016. It's on the website. It's on the app. It's on YouTube. It's everywhere that you want to get. Go get it, and you can learn all about postmodernism and modernism and premodernism. I talk about all that. So let me just give you kind of a, a quick summary of postmodernism, okay? Postmodernism rejects the idea that there are any big stories, any true narratives that explain who we are, why we're here, where the world came from, what we're doing, what we were made for, our purpose. All of those things postmodernism just rejects either saying they don't exist or you can't know them, okay? It rejects the idea that you can know any truth, except, I guess, for the truth that you can't know any truth. They leave that one out. You can know that one. Anyway, 
I didn't say it made sense. It's just a philosophy. This philosophy is deeply ingrained in our culture. In fact, I think most people, even in the church, have caught at least a little bit of postmodernism. And if you look at sort of the studies that come out or the survey that come out where they look at whether people have a biblical worldview, you'll often find that many, many people, including pastors, right, teachers at Christian schools, things like this, have bought in to some postmodern ideas. They catch it like a cold, and they live it out because they believe certain things in it. Ideas have consequences. If you think that you can just have an idea and it's not going to have consequences, it does. Ideas about the gospel have consequences like eternal life. Ideas like postmodernism, the opposite. They lead to death. Postmodernism has had some serious and evil consequences in our society. So, Basically, you've got postmodernism here. Along with that, you've got this scientism, which is essentially where society, as they reject God more and more, they have to find some authority out there. So they've given to the scientists this ability to come up with consensuses that are next, sort of the new orthodoxy, right? They're the new religious leaders. So when they say something, you have to go with it. And then on top of that, you have your morality. The scientists aren't so much on that. Instead, you get that formed by movie stars and pop singers, whoever's got access to Twitter or Instagram. They preach a new morality. And the problem is, it causes a real problem when you get your morality from people who aren't qualified to give it. The problem is, is that people don't trust anyone because people have become very untrustworthy. A lot of lies, a lot of white lies, a lot of black lies, a lot of lies in our culture, a lot of lies from the people that we used to think that we could trust. Truth is, we probably never could. But as that comes, the problem is, is the reaction for some people is they go, I can't believe that guy, I can't believe that girl, I can't believe this, I can't believe that. Meh. I can't figure it out. I'm not going to work on it. I'm not going to work on it. If I can't get a good answer, then I don't care. And since postmodernism tells them there are no good answers, they choose to ignore the questions. Questions about whether God exists no longer interest them. Can you imagine not being interested in knowing whether God exists? I just don't care. It's like, well, if he does exist and Jesus is his son and you reject him, then you're going to go to hell forever. I don't care. I've got a PlayStation right? They don't care. It's one thing to have dealt with it and reject it. That person I can talk to. It's another thing to say, I don't even want to talk about it. Questions about heaven and hell, of course, are just too judgmental. So they meh their way into apathyism. Postmodernism leads to apathy. I don't know who to trust, so I give up. Of course, there are ways to research. There are ways to learn. There are ways to know whether things are true and to think well and to divide truth from lies. All of those things exist, but they were not taught to them. Our culture is really from over a hundred years of schools doing a lot of schooling and very little education. Not the fault of teachers, not the fault necessarily of administrators even, it all comes back. You start pulling on this thread. You look at the history. You look at where it goes. It comes back to actually a number of evil people 
towards the end of the 19th century, who basically started that process that would lead from modernism into postmodernism. So we teach kids how to get test scores, but we rarely teach them how to think or even suggest that there's anything true for them to think about. We don't treat them like they're human beings created in the image and likeness of God with minds that were made to know truth and to know him. So because if I approach it from that side, I'm going to think very differently about what I teach. we got teachers in this room. That's how they teach. It's an uphill battle, though, because the philosophy of the school system is not there's a God and he's made you in his image and likeness. It is you're a meat sack that evolved from a cell, and we're all going to go into heat death at some point. Until then, you know, here's some condoms. That's what they do. Sorry, parents, who are having now explained our kids what that is. Online, over here, whatever. That's, that's what they do, right? And so they feel, they as in people, a lot of apathy, feel like they're not equipped to even figure it out, so they ignore the question. They simply ignore the problem. Postmodernists claim and claimed that there was no way to know truth and then encouraged everyone to create their own truth. Everyone decided they could just think what they want and say whatever they want. That's why you have such robust social media. What's going on on Twitter? What's going on over there? What do you guys all have to say so much, right? Everybody's got something to say. Facebook, same thing. They can say what they want. And their opinions are just as good as my facts in their minds. The rules of logic, evidence, and reason are thrown out in favor of feelings and popular views. Now, here's the thing. It's wild. When everyone creates their own reality, postmodernism fulfills its own claim. It wasn't true, but it becomes true to people. Because as they believed it and started creating their own thing, then it started to be that for them, actually, they don't have the tools to know the difference, which is what postmodernism told them was true in the first place. And so now we have this group of people, large, large group of people who feel unable to know any truth. They feel unable to reasonably talk about God, so they don't. After all, they have plenty to do. They can always distract themselves, right? They can spend all day playing on their phone, playing video games. Some of you are thinking, but don't only children play video games? Check this out. Apparently, according to the statistics, to statistics put out by the Entertainment Software Association in 2013, the average age of a video gamer is 30. Only 32% of gamers are under 18. 32% are between 18 and 35, and 36% are 36 years and older. The average age of the most frequent game purchaser is 35 years old. And I thought, shouldn't that just be like dads buying video games for their kids? And then I realized people don't have kids anymore because they're playing video games. <laughs> no offense, I think video games are cool. Just, you know, easy, easy. So this is not just kids. We're a wealthy society, folks. And people do not feel like they have real 
needs. So they ignore God. They don't feel like they have needs. They don't go to God. Reminds me of a novel by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. So in this novel, C.S. Lewis is narrating, and he has this kind of dream where he ends up in in a a vision of hell, right? Just this gray town that just goes on forever, and everybody fights with each other, and it's just terrible. And he's on this bus, and they're taking these folks from hell for kind of a day trip to the outskirts of heaven. Interesting book if you want to read it. Um, As you know, C.S. Lewis, I highly recommend. So at one point, one of the characters ascribes to the narrator, narrator, C.S. Lewis in this case, the people in hell, he says this, the trouble is they have no needs. You get everything you want, not very good quality, of course, just by imagining it. That's like us. We feel that we have no needs. We get everything we want. Not very good quality, of course. Nothing is the same quality as it once was, but a person could spend every waking hour of their life scrolling through Facebook, watching Netflix and YouTube, and playing video games. Every hour of their life, they could probably go through lifetimes and lifetimes before the distractions ran out. That's how much, I don't remember what it is, like a billion hours of stuff on Netflix, of which about five are worth watching. Maybe seven, I don't know. Remember the parable of the sower that Jesus tells us in Matthew 13. About a sower who goes out and sows seed. Some on the wayside, right? It's eaten up by the birds. Some kind of in the rocky ground, it kind of springs up fast, but it's got no root, so it withers when the sun comes out. And then some fell among thorns, and the thorns choked it out. They choked it out. And some landed on good ground and yielded crops, some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. Jesus explains the parable to his disciples, and when he talks about the seed among thorns, he says this. This is Matthew 13, 22. Now, he who received the seed among thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches can choke out even good seed. They're not getting good seed from the world, and they've got all that. They're choking. People are choking. We're rich. We're impatient. When I was in law school, we had to learn how to research with books, paper, you know. And I don't know if you've ever researched legal uh, cases and so on with paper, but it's a lot harder. Huge library. You got to go. Dewey and his decimal system and all that good stuff, right? Go find the book. Look it up. Whatever. You got 10 books on your desk and bleh, right? Because now I'm like, doop, doop, boop, boop, boop. oh, that's what the thing means. It's a lot cheaper for y'all. It's really expensive to spend all the hours in research, right? But it was a real process. Now, we did have online at the time. I'm not that old. But the fact is, is that we, we needed to learn the book thing. But why would I drive to a library and get, look through many, many books when I can get all the information on my phone or my tablet or my computer? I wouldn't. We just have to wait for everything. Do you like a movie? Hope it comes on TV at some point, right? Hey, Saturday night, they're going to be showing this movie. All right, let's all get around the TV. We got to watch it together at that time. Then we had the VCR. If you could figure out how to set it so to actually do it at the right time, right? We'd have church on Wednesday nights or whatever. My dad would set the thing. I don't remember how successful he was. It was hard to do, right? Then it was like you can go rent anything you want, VHS tapes, right? 
than DVDs, than Blu-rays. And now, I don't have to get off of my couch. And I can basically get almost any movie in the world. I can, I can just, I don't even have to push a button. It's like, I want to see this movie. And it's like, Burp, there it is. All right, rent it. Meh. In a world like ours, the real work of study, work, building relationships, it's difficult. And the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches is easy. So we need to have some compassion for the apatheist. Everything that they want to do is easy. Not very good quality, of course. But the big things take real time. All important things take real effort. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, they don't. They're easy. That's why they choke things out. Here's the thing. Following Christ is not supposed to be easy. It was never intended to be easy. It's real. It's real. And real things are hard in a fallen world. Weak and unsatisfying things are easy. There is such a thing as truth. And we can know it. That's important. If we put it at the foundation of your worldview, there is such a thing as truth, and we can know it. The truth is the basis of the Christian worldview. The truth. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Important statement. Because you either accept it or reject it, and that has eternal consequences. And temporal consequences. You know, one of the oldest parts of the New Testament comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, the same was likely being memorized and repeated within a few years of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so this is early, 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 early. No, 1 Corinthians 15, sorry. <laughs> this is what it says. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Okay, that's, that's how you say something that's actually not something that's original to you, but something that's been going around. So this was a saying. They didn't have cell phones, so they had to memorize things. I delivered to you that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Why is this such an early saying of the church? Why was it so important? Because it was based on evidence. Christianity is an evidence-based religion. Okay? Our entire thing rises and falls on a historical fact, whether Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It is not based on feelings. Do I have feelings about it? Oh, more than you can imagine. But that's not what it's based on. That's not what our faith is based on. Evidence of things not seen. I didn't see Jesus rise from the dead. By the very nature of history, only a certain amount could. could. Hundreds did. You could go ask them. That was the point of this. Why was it going around? Because when you say, hey, here's the deal. Jesus died according to the scriptures, rose according to the scriptures, Right? The gospel is true. And if you're wondering whether that's true, let me give you a list of people by name and then this big group who you can go ask. Cross-examine them. Did you see Jesus alive after he died? 
Did you see him die? Do you see him alive? Now, how do you know you saw him? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Evidence. That's what Christianity is based on. It takes research to validate it. Back then, you could just go and be like, did you really see that? Okay, you say you did. Did you really see it? Did you really see it? Now, we don't have that same ability now, but we have the testimony of those, and then we have their lives, and the fact that they died, unwilling to say that they hadn't seen it. We have a lot of stuff. I don't want to go into all that right now. I could go. We could go for a while on that. This was about God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rising from the dead. This was not something to be apathetic about. It's about eternal life or eternal separation from God in hell. These are real things, important things. That's why the New Testament is written as it is, history, written with evidence for those who are seeking truth to weigh that evidence and find Jesus Christ as he draws their heart, right? The evidence proves God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It proves that God raised his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. It proves all of that. It proves that the church has the Holy Spirit. Right now, today, we have the Holy Spirit. It proves that there is no life outside of life in Jesus Christ. None. Those who are not in Jesus Christ are spiritually dead. Here's something you need to understand. This is really important. The spiritually dead man understands nothing. If you don't understand that, you're going to bang your head against the wall quite a bit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit drawing someone that enlivens them to have the ability to understand anything of spiritual importance. They don't understand. They don't know where you're coming from. The apathy is probably the worst. They don't care where you're coming from. Here's the problem of not waking up from apathyism, though. Those who are apathetic are living dead lives and will not experience real life in Jesus Christ. They won't. The most important thing there is for us, life in Jesus Christ, knowing God, being with him now and for eternity. It's the most important thing. Nothing else compares to that. Certainly not your video games, right? Why are you meh all the time? Because you don't know Jesus, because if you knew Jesus, you wouldn't be meh. You might be uh sometimes, because you go through difficult things sometimes, right? But it's an adventure. It's exciting. You're doing something. If you're meh, it's because there's nothing exciting in your life. Wake up. There's stuff to do. These people who won't come out of the meh, won't come out of the apathyist mindset, they won't have the peace of God which surpasses our understanding and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. They will not have all things work together for good for them because they do not love God. These are serious things. They won't receive forgiveness of their sins. They won't spend eternity with the saints who follow Christ in heaven. These are real consequences. These are all really serious consequences of being apathetic. And when we as Christ's church don't act like those things are real and don't act like those things are serious consequences, when we say we love God, but our own lives look a little like an apathyist, what do you think that says to them? We encourage the apathyist to stay lost. Listen to what's written in the book of Revelation of the church of the Laodiceans. This is important for us. 
This is Revelation 3, 14 through 22. By the way, if you need a Bible, they're in the back of those chairs. If you don't have one at home, take one home with you. It says this, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. My translation, meh. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. And white garments that you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous. That's the opposite of apathetic. Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Praise God. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Apathias, don't hear. Look, if we're going to be a lukewarm church, expect a lukewarm culture. The Holy Spirit is a restrainer. The Holy Spirit is working through the church to enliven the culture. We're there to be salt and light. We're giving it flavor. We're giving it truth. We get lukewarm. We get a little meh. Things have been tough. We've had a hard time. Yeah, I have too. I have. It's real. There are people truly grieving real things in this church right now. I get that. Let's grieve hard. Let's mourn with those who mourn. But let's rejoice with those who rejoice. And in any case, let's be serious about the one thing that really matters. That we have Jesus Christ and that no matter what happens to us on this earth, we don't fear the one who can destroy the body. The one who can destroy the body and soul in hell, we should. That's our Father who's not going to destroy us because he loves us. That's the big deal. We can't live in apathy, in meh, in show me another movie. I, that's not me that I'm doing an impression of, by the way. That's, that's Glenn. I was just, we can't be that way. I'm concerned that apathyism isn't just in the culture. I'm concerned that it's in the church. Because there are a lot of cares in this world. Deceitfulness of riches that are taking a lot of our time, taking a lot of my time. I got to repent. It's just too easy to fill our days with things that don't matter, to get distracted when there are people who are going to hell on the line. And instead of shaking them out of apathy, we're just letting them go on with it. So how do we light the flame of passion in the bosom of the apathyist? How do we get that fire going? How do we wake up the world? Well, let me give you a couple ideas. Nothing gets people excited like being excited. Nothing sparks excitement like you being excited. You know that? I used to be an NFL football fan until I got smart. I'm just kidding. The NFL is fine if that's your thing. But I had a buddy who was so into the Washington Huskies. Probably told you this story before. I don't care. I'm going to tell you again. 
He was so in to the Washington Huskies. And I'm just, I'm watching, I'm watching him. It's just like, it seems like he's having a lot of fun being really into the Washington Huskies. Well, at the early 90s, it was a lot of fun. You know, they were winning. Anyway, it was enough to draw me in to be a big fan of the Washington Huskies. Now, what do the Washington Huskies mean? Nothing. They mean more than the Ducks, but they don't mean much. Okay? Nothing. He was excited about something that's really not that important, and still it was able to get me going. Nothing breeds excitement like excitement. If you're walking around and everybody's like, what are you so stinking happy about? Did you get the good stuff from the, the green shop? And your answer is yes, but that's not why. No. <laughs> Don't do that. But do, do not email me. I am not advocating that. That's terrible. It's, you know what? Let me just be honest with you. My life has been changed. Well, how has it been changed? Well, you want to hear about it? It's Jesus. It's real. It's real. This isn't a one-and-done thing. I've been like this. Some of you, we have been in Christ for years. You know, this is not some one-and-done, or we're real excited for a minute and it goes away. Keep the flame going in you, or you got nothing to light theirs with. Nothing gets people excited like being excited. Excitement is contagious. If you are apathetic and kind of meh, don't expect to get many people interested in what you have to say. Why would your meh be any better than their meh? <laughs> be excited to talk about Jesus Christ. Be excited to do it. What has he done for you? Anything? Has he done anything for you? Yes. Yes. Is that worth sharing? Yeah. If somebody had given me a million bucks, I'd probably be talking about it. Not to you, because you guys would all ask for money. <laughs> I would be talking about it. I'd be like, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe it. This guy walked up, handed me this briefcase, and it was a million dollars in it. And he just said, have it. It's yours. Pretty good story. It's not true. But it'd be a pretty good story. You'd probably tell it a lot. A million dollars? That's nothing. Nothing compared to what Jesus Christ has done for you. Maybe you want to say something about it. Maybe you want to share it with somebody. Apathists need to be shaken out of their apathy. Excitement has a way of doing that. Number two, apathists still care about morality because everybody does. They are as likely as anyone to chide you for not agreeing with, most likely, whatever the new social morality is as that kind of goes and does its thing. I hope you're all keeping up. Keep up, keep up. You got to know this, you can't say that, you got to do that, you got to keep up, right? But if you get sideways of that, they're going to say something. But here's the thing, it's a spark of passion. Take it and run. Okay, I, I can see why you're not doing that. Why do you think, so you're, what you're trying to do is love people, and that's why you're saying that. Now, we can talk about whether that's loving people or not, but why do you want to love people? So you don't have to get into the thing. You can get behind it. If someone will not give you the front door, and they meh you all the way when you go, hey, I want to talk about Jesus. Sometimes you can get in another door. Because Jesus affects everything. The mind of Christ has something to say about everything. So when they say, oh, you shouldn't say that. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, I can't believe you threw that can in the garbage can. Which you shouldn't do that, okay? You know, 
People get really upset. In any case, when that happens, you go, why? Well, because I care about the earth. Why? Because I do too. You know why I care? Because my God made it, and I'm supposed to steward it. That's why I throw my can in the recycling. Because God made the world and has asked me from the very beginning of Genesis to steward the world. It's mine because I'm an heir of Christ. So I care about it. Why do you care about it? Um, a movie star said I should. <laughs> I heard a song about it. I don't want to make fun of people. I do want to make fun of people. I'm not going to make fun of people. Look, here's the thing. Find a door. If you see passion in an apatheist, you attack that with everything you've got. Search behind it. Because everyone was born, was born with a light that enlightens them. At some level, Christ is letting himself be known. Now, there are some. They're not coming. But it's not because they don't know. Paul is very clear. They're without excuse. You do have common ground. You've got to find it. You've got to find it. 1 Peter 3.15 but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Who are you supposed to be ready to defend to? Everybody. Atheist, agnostic, apatheist, duck fan, Justin Bieber believer. I don't care who it is. I don't care what their thing is. You, as a Christ follower, are supposed to be like Paul. Find an area of common ground and preach the gospel. Excitedly, in love. Not judging them because they don't think the way you do right now. You know what lost people act like? Lost people. Don't expect something different. You were lost too. You were a joke too. I can tell you for sure I was. An absolute disaster. Christ saved me through a number of things, including people who love Jesus and were excited about him. And he's done the same for you one way or the other. Now you go and be a disciple and act like every disciple that's come before you for 2,000 years be excited about Jesus Christ and see people change their lives. Evangelism happens within relationship. Please understand that. If people don't know that you love them, they're not going to listen to you. And we do love them. We do love them. Nothing is more likely to get someone to listen to the gospel. All of this stuff is secondary to showing people love. These are people made in the image and likeness of God who he says he loves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. Because he loves the world. Who do you love? You love who he loves. Who is that? All of these people, if they understand that, they're more likely to listen to you. If you care about them first, they're more likely to listen to you. Don't just care about their salvation. Care about the fact that their dog is sick. Care about the fact that they're going through something. Care about the fact that they need something. Serve them. Then maybe they want to listen. Talk is cheap. Mine is expensive. That's why you go to law school. Talk is cheap. Service costs something. When we go to Honduras and we, and we build stuff, it's like, why are we building stuff? We don't know what we're doing. There's a few guys who know what they're doing, and they're like, mm, they got the level, whatever. I'm just like, 
you know. Do not go into the buildings that I've helped build. <laughs> I, can't, I cannot vouchsafe your safety there. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you a story some other time about falling off one of those buildings. Anyway, um, but you know why we do it? Because when the Honduran people who don't know Jesus are walking down the street, and they're like, who are all these gringos over here building a brick thing for this church or for whoever, whatever? Who, why are they doing that? I know that they're rich, because in their mind, all gringos are rich, right? I know they don't have to do that. I know that they could easily pay for somebody else to do it and make one of us do it. Not only are they doing it, we have them, Honduran people, telling us what to do. So they're in charge. What does it do? It opens up a lane for the gospel. Why? What would make them do that? They're not on vacation. Why aren't they taking selfies and laying on a beach? I mean, I am, but the rest of the team is doing this other thing, right? No, we're not. We're working, we're sweating in the sun for Jesus, for them. And they can see it. And it opens up the opportunity to talk about Jesus. And people get saved. Show them you love them. And they're more likely to listen. Jesus Christ is life. No one should be apathetic about Jesus. People need truth. You, as a Christ follower, have it. Please don't hide it. Show it. Remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. Every morning when you get up, and I, do this, I have to do this too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to remember. You want to get excited? You want to stay excited? Remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. That'll shake the apathy from you. Maybe then you can shake it from the apathyists. Let's see many come to know Jesus Christ right here. Let's see many become followers and disciples of him. Let's see many get baptized. Let's see them learn all that he has commanded. All that stuff that's out on the water. Let's see it happen. I'm excited. I'm excited because I know what God can do. I know what he's promised to do. I know who I am. And I know what aroma, the spiritual one, is going up for me. I know what I'm diffusing, baby. And, it's, and who, is, who is up to that task? Nobody. But through the grace of God, I'm out there diffusing the knowledge of Jesus Christ as I walk around. I'm going to take that seriously. I'm asking you to do it too. Not just pastors are smelling. You smell too. <laughs> take that one out of context. Make a t-shirt. I love you guys. I love the people who are not in here right now, who are apathetic, who are meh in their way through life. I particularly have a heart for those who are younger, who just didn't get the same opportunities to understand things. We need to love them. They will respond to love. People respond to the Jesus love. Some good and some bad, but let's at least get a reaction, huh? In Jesus Christ, there is life and love and forgiveness of sin. If you don't know him, you've been apathetic. Today can be your day. Say something online to us. Hey, I want to know Jesus. We'll get in touch with you. Come and talk to one of the pastors or the elders. Go talk to Pastor Dave, Pastor Daniel, myself. Say, I want to know Jesus. We'll help you with that. Because there is life and love and forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ and salvation. There's so much more of an adventure to following Jesus. You think that video game is fun? Get in the real game. 
Get in the real game. It's fun. It's fun. It's adventurous. You're never going to find it living in apathy. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we don't have to be apathetic. Forgive us for when we are. Lord, we go through phases because life is tough. I pray that if any of us are in an apathetic phase, you'd shake us out of it because the last people who should be apathetic is your church, Lord. Don't let us be choked by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Don't let us fall under the mountain of content and Netflix and video games and whatever that we could be doing. It's too easy. Lord, our minds were made by you. In your image and likeness, we were made. Lord, help us to feed them, to study your word and to get excited about it and to show other people that there's things worth doing in this life. Primarily knowing you. Because if we want to affect the world and the culture and all the mess that we have, we're not going to attack that directly. We're going to attack that by seeing you change the hearts of people so they don't want to do those things anymore. Or we want to change the way schools are done. You got to change the hearts of the people who are in charge. And we pray for that. Whether they be political leaders, community leaders, here and all over the world. Lord, we pray you would change hearts. And if you can use our excitement for you to do that, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Let us be excited. Let us be the opposite of apathetic so that those who are living in meh might find Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. And be excited to know you, to worship you, to study your word. We love you, Lord. Be with those who are sick this week. Be with those who are mourning, Lord. Let us mourn with them. Be with those who rejoice and let us rejoice with them, Lord. Bring back our brothers and sisters that haven't been able to be with us, Lord. Give us a, a scenario where that can happen so we can love them. We love you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.